Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning and welcome to Portico. My name is Rick and I'm one of our pastors here. I'm the campus pastor from out in Milton. And I actually wasn't planning on being here this morning, but you know, we've had the warm weather this week, right? Every time we get this like 15 degree weather, Pastor Doug hops on his motorcycle and we lose him for like seven to 10 days. And so we haven't heard from him, but with the snow and the cold coming back this morning, we're confident that he's going to find his way back safely. We've sent out a team of dogs with coffee to try and bring him back. So we're confident he will be here for the end of our missions conference next weekend. But we'll know, welcome, so glad to have you with us in just a minute. I just need to check one thing. Okay, I've got a text from my friend Andrew out in Milton that says that we've, that we've joined us. You know, in Mississauga, you don't get this kind of live, real-time interaction. Out in Milton, we text the speaker back and forth, and it says that they've joined us, so we have Milton joining us on live on campus. Yeah, welcome, Milton. And we're, many of our people from our online campus are joining us here, so we're so glad to have you joining with us here for service. Now, how many people drove with a criminal to church this morning? Anyone? And we drove, do I see any hands? Anybody? Oh, a few people. Good. <laughs> wow. Well, welcome. We are <laughs> Actually, I took a picture this week, and I don't know if you know what the speed limit is on the way to both campuses, but let me show you this picture. I've got my eye on you. You know what the speed limit is? It's 50 kilometers an hour on the way to church at both campuses. Now, how many people drove with a criminal to church this morning? Anyone? Let me see those eyes. That's right. That's right. Some of us feel that those are speed suggestions, not speed limits, don't we? There, there's something innate within us that just say, I have to go a little bit faster than what it says. And if you're working law enforcement, we understand. No, those are speed limits. We know what we're supposed to do. But I know church people, and I know church people oftentimes break that law. And there's one other place where we like to push the boundary, and that's when it comes to missions. And we come by it quite righteously, actually. If you go right back to the, to the early church, we've just been going through um, the, the, the stories of Jesus who was teaching his disciples and his followers in the last few days that he was on earth about who he was and how he was God's son and how they were to go and share this, this message with, with everybody else. But that, that kind of stirred up some trouble within their day. And they, we're going to pick up a story here in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at how uh, Paul, uh, Peter and John are now being drugged in front of the religious court and they're saying, you can't go around telling this story about Jesus being the Messiah and God's son. We don't like that. But look what it says in verses 19 and 20 as Peter and John look at these officials. He, they say, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you or to listen to God. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And a few weeks ago, we looked at the inclusive yet also exclusive nature of Christianity when following Jesus. We said that he is the way, truth, and life. There's only one way, right? He's the only way to know God. And everything that's Canadian inside of me wants to be inclusive and involve everybody of every faith and culture and religion and say, let's make room for you here. 
But we looked at the scriptures and said, no, there's actually only one way, and it's very exclusive. And the only way to know God is to have relationship by faith through Jesus Christ. But then we also looked at how it's an inclusive call. As much as it excludes people, it also is extremely inclusive because the call is for absolutely everyone, no matter where they live, no matter what their faith is, no matter who, what life they've lived, it's completely inclusive that everyone can come to know God. I grew up in a home that nobody knew Jesus. None of my extended family had, had, had a faith relationship with, with Jesus. And then when I was, I was a child, my, my mom came to faith. And over time, both uh, my, my sister and my older brother and I, we've all come to faith. And I'm so thankful that there was churches in the town that I live in. There were people who had faith that were diligent in going out and sharing this message with people who had never heard it before. And as we enter our annual missions conference, we're going to focus on the work that we do and the work and the people that we partner with that goes all around the world into places where there might not be anyone other than through support, like churches like this, that say, I'm going to partner with you or I'm going to send a team to go because we know that there are people there who have never heard the name of Jesus, never heard that there's hope for beyond what they experience day by day. And we're going to turn our focus onto these words that these are people that say, I cannot stop speaking about what I've seen or heard. And there's, we've even heard stories this very year where people's lives were threatened, people's livelihoods were threatened, where people were in jail and faced physical abuse because of the name of Jesus. But they said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the authority says to me. I'm going to share that message because I know there's hope and truth and life found in Jesus. And I want to introduce you to a couple this morning who know this so much more than I do. Why don't you welcome Obide and Tarana Rad to, to the stage with me? I'm going to come up. And if you've not met this couple before, this is a couple that we, Portico, helped sponsor come to Canada from India through Afghanistan uh, last year. They came in December and we, we uh, gave and donated in one of our One Hope campaigns a couple years ago to make, to make, this, make this possible. And I'm my friend Obaid here, he loves to speak and he's going to stay up and share the message with me. Tarana, not so much. She's just going to say hello and then, and then uh, she's going she's gonna to go find her seat. But why don't you bring greetings, Tarana? Hello, everyone. My name is Tarana. He is my husband, Obaid. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to share our story this morning. My husband will tell our story today. Thank you and God bless you. Thanks, Tarana. So, Obaid, you and I first met about a year ago, well, it was in December of 2015, we met in the airport the day that the first plane of Syrian refugees were landing. The prime minister and all the press were coming. We've got a picture to show there. We met you and you in Toronto and Majid, and I found you in the airport, and then we got out of there really quickly before everybody else kind of took over that airport, and then we brought you into, into Mississauga. Actually, we went into Brampton, and we um, had a meal, and then we got you to Jim's house, one of the Portico members, and then the next day, you came to One Hope. That was during our One Hope concerts, and you guys shared in the concert, and there's your, and there's your picture there. That's 2015. Now, we first heard of your story as a church way back in 2010. Now, how come I didn't meet you until 2015 if we first heard of your story in 2010? Why don't you tell us a little bit of your journey to between 2010 and 2015? Okay. Thank you, Pastor Rick, and I thank the leadership of this church, uh, my church, our church, and uh, thank everyone for giving me and my wife this opportunity to share our 
testimony. Uh, God bless you and thank you once again. So, uh, as you know, I'm from Afghanistan. and uh, So, to make it short, <laughs> I was born in Afghanistan. Uh, I was a Muslim and I got saved in Pakistan. <laughs> and then I returned back to Afghanistan. I was a secret believer in Afghanistan. And then my family, they found out about my faith. So, mm -hmm. I faced persecution and then... God helped us to escape the country, and we escaped to India. And in India, uh, I got a chance to go to Bible college and also to plant Afghan, an Afghan church. And because of that, I faced the persecution from the Afghan Muslim community and later from other uh, communities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, when I was facing, uh, we, were, we were facing that persecution, huge persecution, uh, God opened a door for us, and uh, this church, Portico Church, uh, they uh, accepted to approve our sponsorship. They said, we will sponsor you to come to Canada. Mm -hmm. And that happened in the year 2010. Uh, so when we were in 2012, you know the sponsorship process is a long takes a thing. While, yeah, yeah, it takes time. So uh, in 2012, we were close to come to Canada, but then we heard... Uh, about a couple, Afghani couple. Maybe we have a picture of them, uh, Shuaib and Najiba. Yeah. So we heard about them. Actually, Shuaib was a Christian. His wife was also a Christian. And he was arrested by the Afghan government. They put him in prison for six months. And they sentenced him to death. Hmm. And, you know, uh, but that didn't happen. And uh, they, uh, you know... He was sexually abused in the prison. He was beaten in the prison. His, because of those things, his mother died, and many things happened to him. So the international community helped them to come out of jail and come out of the country. So they came to India. And when uh, we see their situation, it was just a disaster. They didn't have hope. But they were disappointed. And since he was... The most important thing, sexually abused by the prisoners in the mm. prison because of his conversion to Christianity. You know, that was a kind of punishment for him. He was kind of, it's not good to say, uh, not mental, so something close to that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But so I, we saw their situation, and me and my wife, we decided to give a sacrifice. So we said no. We need to send them to Canada first. So we talked to the church and they talked to... Yeah, what an the, unbelievable sacrifice. Uh, one free world international and, and uh, the Portico Church said, yes, we will sponsor this couple. So mm -hmm. they got their sponsorship. They came to Canada in five months. And, you know, and they were here. I don't know where they are today, I, but I believe they are in Christ. And, you know, so we gave that sacrifice. And it took us five years to come to Canada. Five years of persecution. But uh, I want to thank everyone in this church, and especially the leadership of this church, for trusting us and giving us this opportunity to come out of that situation and to, be, to come to Canada. And uh, it's because of your love, because of your encouragement, support, and, uh, you know, because of your prayers that today we are in this country and we are not facing that persecution by God's grace. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. You have a scripture you wanted to share on that. Yeah. And uh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no worry. <laughs> Sometimes we speak about uh, our own words and we forgot the God's word. So there is a scripture that I want to share and I want to encourage you uh, that it's Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. 
It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you. So this scripture is for you. Your faith is being reported all over the world, and if you want to see the fruits, it's me and Tarana. <laughs> and Isn't, isn't that an unbelievable <laughs> testimony, but... Now, over the course of the past year, we've helped you move three different times. You were at Jim's house, you're at the uh, Obatolu's <laughs> house, and now you're in your place where you are now. We've helped you figure out how to shop at Walmart and what that looks like, and we've helped you figure out how the My Way connects to the Brampton Zoom, and I think you've connected in five different growth groups, and o- over the course of all of that, I've got to hear some of uh, the amazing stories about how God's been faithful and how, how you came to faith and how um, God protected you and how God, has, how God has used you. So why don't you take some time this morning and just share with the church, how did you come to faith and what did that mean for you as, as an Afghan coming to Christ and kind of where God brought you from there? Yeah, thank you, Pastor Rick. So there is a passage in the Bible it's a testimony, testimony of uh, Apostle Paul, mm-hmm. which is similar to our story. You know, these stories, these are not our stories. These are actually the great work of God in our lives. So I want you, I request you to please read that scripture it's because that's to similar <laughs> to my story, yeah. So here's what it says in Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, that's going to tie very closely to these guys' story. You have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Again, unbelievable parallel in your life. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed within 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. And then I went to Syria and Sicilia, and I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they praise God because of me. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so if you change the word Judaism to Islam, and you, if you change persecuting the church to persecuting everyone, and also Gentiles to Muslims, and Syria and Silesia to Pakistan and India. That's our story. (laughs) So, yeah, but before, uh, uh, you know, I share my story, let me uh, say a a short prayer. There is a verse in this, (laughs) you know, passage that, uh, you know. Okay, so let's pray. Uh, As, uh, dear Lord, as Pastor Paul said that, there is no lie in my testimony, Lord. Please give me, uh, Lord, the, the, uh, the uh, help me, Lord, to say that right story, to tell the truth, Lord, and to make no made-up stories, and to say 
uh, do not say lies, Lord, and just say some things that are true, Lord, and give glory to give glory to your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and help me uh, today in the name of Jesus. Amen. amen. So it's easy to say lies and you know <laughs> make made up stories just to. But add we don't some, do that here. Just no, <laughs> I, I, we do it. <laughs> just to add the spices, you know, make it tasty. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. so, you know, just to let you know, you know already that I'm from Afghanistan, and uh, Afghanistan is a pure Muslim country. Uh, Converting from Islam to Christianity or any other religion, uh, Christianity is not a religion, but (laughs) to any other religion, it's uh, punishable by death. Mm -hmm. So you don't have Christians in Afghanistan, you don't have church buildings in Afghanistan. So you, people don't know about Christianity. There are only few secret Christians and some underground churches in Afghanistan. So people are against this idea of conversion. The government is against this idea of conversion. While in Iran, people are fine with this, but the, only the government is against this. But in Afghanistan, both people and government, they are against this idea of conversion from Islam. It's a big shame. It's a big crime. It's a big sin. And you lose everything if you convert from Islam. So that's what the consequences. Uh, I was uh, born in a, a Muslim uh, communist family. Right. <laughs> so uh, we were nominal Muslims, but we were communists. You know, Afghanistan was a Muslim communist country uh, 38 years ago. Like, uh, you know, in 1978, it became a com- Muslim communist country. And for 14 years, we were Muslim communists. And at that time, Afghanistan was a free country. We had freedom, and everything was there. So same life like in Canada. Mm-hmm. Maybe we have a picture of me in my, when Aww. I was a baby, and she's Aww. my mother. You see, we are not looking like ISIS, <laughs> so just normal people. Uh, I drink uh, medium regular uh, coffee, so we were regular people. Normal people, okay. <laughs> yeah. So... You know, so I was born in that kind of situation. I was not serious about God. You know, I was just a communist. And, you know, I said, okay, God is there, but who cares? You know, that kind of situation. But what was the problem? The problem was that the 50% of our population held by the Western countries, I'm sorry to say (laughs) that, they were against us. They were claiming that you are pagans. And they claimed a holy war against us. For 14 years, we had this war between Muslim communists and Muslim Muslims. <laughs> so, and in, in those 14 years, 2 million people lost their lives. And we have 2 million disabled people. Mm-hmm. In my family, in my family, my older brother, he lost his two legs. My younger brother was killed. And, you know, I personally got shot many times and I got injured many times. So for 14 years, this problem was going on. And, you know, after 14 years, these Muslims, they defeated us. Because the Soviet Union was defeated, so we became weak and they defeated us. And they made Afghanistan a pure Islamic country. And I had to learn about Islam, and I had to follow Islamic laws, and I had to practice Islam. So we became Muslims. But what happened after few months, only few months, the same Muslims who were fighting against us, they started fighting with each other. And they were claiming holy war against each other. So for this group, 
They were pagan? For that group, they were pagans. I was confused. Then who's a Muslim? <laughs> so when they started the war right in the capital, and they destroyed the capital, 200,000 people got killed. Everyone left the city, but we were there. There was no food, no water, no education, nothing. Everything was closed. It was just, you know, a disaster. So I was a teenager, just a teenager of maybe 14 years old. I said, Okay, you need food, and you need protection. Mm -hmm. So join one of these groups. So I joined one of these groups as a teenager, and I had a gun. The first time I touched a gun, and I learned how to use it just to get some food. Food means by stealing and looting. (laughs) So we were doing that. And to protect me and my family. So I joined them, and to make it short, for four years, I learned how to destroy lives for the sake of Allah, and also to give my life for the sake of Allah. So I was a destroyer, <laughs> you know. So, but after four or five years, the Taliban, which means religious students, mm-hmm. they said, you are evil. So they came, they defeated us, and they took over. They said, now we will enforce pure and 100% Sharia, Islamic Sharia law in Afghanistan. So Afghanistan became a pure Islamic country. So since I had that warrior background and uh, the Taliban were fighting against these people, I said, why don't you join them? You are a good warrior. They will accept you. I joined them, not because of power or something this time, not because of food, not to protect my family, just because of my faith that faith that I had, Islamic faith. I said, I will serve Allah mm-hmm. by giving my life to him in a physical way and by taking other people's life who don't follow him. So I became a Taliban soldier. In two or three years, since I was like a big, not a good word, I don't have a right word for it, a big animal, and I was, you know, ready to give my life and take other people's life. I had no mercy. I was just a violent person, thirsty for the blood of all those Muslims, non-Muslims, who were not following the Sharia law. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they accepted me in a special branch, which was called the military religious school. It was kind of special forces. So I was there. I was studying. I had a chance to study the Islamic Sharia and also the Islamic... uh, Fate, and also I was a soldier, and they used to send us to some important mission, serious, dangerous mission. So I was in that situation. So what was our job? To destroy ourselves and destroy other people's life. But to make it short, uh, you know, I want to say something. Living under, I'm not against any religion, the Islamic Sharia law, it's like, it's like living like in hell, under the authority of Satan. Anyone wants to debate, debate that, I'm happy after the <laughs> service, yeah. Uh, uh, so, and so, and then I was in that school. There are many reasons. Someone was pushing me from inside. You are not in the right path, in the right way to make it short. The main message that I received from God, from inside, God told me that you are in the wrong path. Leave it. I am not in this religion. This faith is not of me. Leave it. So I listened to that voice. I don't know how. Don't ask me. I don't have an answer for that. I put my gun. I put my turban. I lift everything and I went back home after six or seven years. So as you're studying with the Taliban, as you're fighting with the Taliban, as you're 
devoting your life to Allah, yeah. God speaks in the middle and says, middle no, follow yeah. me, lay down, this is yeah. not the right way. Yeah, wow. yeah, so, and then I went back home and my father welcomed me. I didn't like them before because I was thinking they are pagans because they were not one of us. Right. So my father hated Taliban. And he said, welcome back. I said, I left Taliban. He said, oh, you did the great thing. I said, but I also left Islam. He said, oh, now you are emotional. <laughs> <laughs> because he was a Muslim. So he said, go back to Pakistan. And we had some relatives. They will help you to settle there because your life will be in danger here in Afghanistan. So I went to this great country, Pakistan, which was a, a very helpful to Afghans. Four million Afghans, they used to live in Pakistan. So I went to Pakistan, and, you know, I already mentioned about that. We uh, bribed the university, and I got admission in the university. Everything was in English, and I didn't know English, but I was <laughs> in the class. So you university, know. Our high school students, if you need to get in, he knows how to bribe university. That's what yeah. he's saying right now. So, and one Maybe of the, work the same way, famous yeah. <laughs> universities in that country. So, and then, so I was there and I learned some English. And then, uh, for the first time, I saw a computer. And then there was a net cafe. So I mm -hmm. went there to watch something. You know, you know what pe young people watch in a net cafe. <laughs> so there, but that time, I knew that there is a God. And I always, I was talking with myself. We call it prayer. I know you are there. Show me your way. And that's how one day I got this idea. It's like God told me, use the internet to find me. So I started searching in different religions. And then I found a great website. And uh, it's called carm.org or .com. I forgot it. So I found this website. And uh, I got in contact with those people. It's a Christian website. So we had this communication, and then they sent me a New Testament in English, and I didn't know English, and I had to use <laughs> a dictionary to translate that. Uh, and, uh, so, so as, you were, yeah. as, as we've talked, I know that you went line by line yeah. translating the English Bible into Pashto yeah. and reading it, and as you read it, God revealed himself to you. Yeah, Pashto Muslim says the language of hell, so not into Pashto, but into okay. Persian language, into Persian. because Pashto is very difficult. You cannot translate the Bible. <laughs> you can do that. So I, and it was through reading the Bible, no missionary, no one, but that website was made by some Christians. That was their mission. Wow. So I received Christ. Wow. Somewhere, I don't know, I gave my heart to him. I said, this is the truth. Because, you know, there is love and grace in this book, you know. And when you come from that kind of background and you, you receive this kind of love and grace and you see that God is actually love and he, you are called to love him and love others, not to kill others. Everything is about love. So I gave my heart and I informed those people to make it short so that thing happened, I got converted then I finished my studies and I went back to Afghanistan. That time Afghanistan was a peaceful country again, but it was a Muslim country. I was a secret believer. I was thinking I'm the only Christian in Afghanistan, but sure. that was not true. <laughs> and there were no Christians. Then I met a missionary and we got married uh, with my wife. Like we have a picture, I think. Yeah, so that happened in Kabul. And then the missionary told me, okay, see, you are a Christian, but 
you know, we have a great commission for a mission to go out and make disciples and to teach them to make more disciples, you know. So go out. Go out to your wife and share the gospel with her and also with your family. So I share the gospel with my wife, and that's how my family got to know about my faith, and I faced a huge, you know, persecution. So, be, you know, this beating and, you know, these things are simple things. So they gave me two options. They said, either you renounce your faith, say that I'm a Muslim, or we kill you. Kill you means we gave you to the government, government kills you. We give you to people, they kill you. So you will be killed. So I said with myself, Jesus, I don't want to renounce my faith. I even don't want to say that Jesus is not my Lord and Savior and I am a Muslim. That was a big thing for me. I said, what should I do, Jesus? And suddenly he gave me this idea, leave the country. Leave the country. And that was a miracle for me and for my wife to leave the country because it was impossible. It was impossible to leave the country. But God opened the way and we escaped Afghanistan from Afghanistan. And we went to another great country, which is India. So we settled in New Delhi. I found a Bible-based church, a very nice Christ-centered church. And they helped me to go to a Bible college and also to plant an Afghan church. So we planted an Afghan church with two of us. <laughs> you know, with yeah. two of us. And then we shared the gospel with Muslims and they accepted the Lord. So the congregation became bigger, bigger, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people. And then I was sharing the gospel. But then Which I, in India was still against what the authorities were asking you yeah, to do, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. But you cannot stop speaking yeah. about what you've seen and heard and what God is speaking to you. Yeah, then I had this vision, this vision that... Okay, tell the congregation to go out. So I told them, I cannot tell you to go out. I cannot tell you that I send you out because only Jesus has that authority to say, go out or I'll send you out two by two or whatever. But I can tell you that let's go out because we are disciples and disciple makers. We are already missionaries. Every Christian, every believer is a missionary. We have a mission to go out. And for that, we have a great commission. It's just not a suggestion like that sign that you show <laughs> the speed sign. <laughs> Abai just not... got his driver's license. Yeah. He's learning about speed suggestions Yeah, as well. so it's not a suggestion. <laughs> it's a command. It's a, a commission that we should go. And as we went out to reach out the Mos- Afghan Muslim community in New Delhi, you know, big things happen, like a big explosion, like big ban. Uh, bang, you call Big Bang or something. I don't believe this. <laughs> so what happened? People came to Christ. And they were baptisms, you know. And the church, you know, the church growed. And everything, many people heard the gospel. Many accepted the Lord. And we had a big church in New Delhi, all made of Afghans. So, uh, but at the same time, we faced a very big reaction. The kind of big reaction... Reaction was persecution, huge persecution that even some famous magazines like Outlook, like uh, Tehelka, like Hindustan Times, CNN, New York Times, and BBC, and Afghan media, they covered this story that these people are converting people. There is an Afghan church in New Delhi. It was something new for them. So I'm not talking... You're a big newsmaker. No, not big. I'm saying it's all for Jesus' glory. So when we see big things, which means, see, 
how Jesus is faithful, you know. So uh, that's why I mention about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, I don't like to mention those kinds. So we face this persecution. Persecution, well, fr- first from the Muslim, Afghan Muslim community, then the Afghan embassy, which means Afghan government, then the Indian Muslim community, and finally <laughs> the Indian government. They arrested three of our missionaries. They put them in jail. Their case is still going on. So these people, they started physically attacking us, assaults, beatings, mm. and they even tried to rape my wife, and different things. We spent some time in safe house in India. Every day it was us and the police station. <laughs> so, but God saved us. God yeah. saved us. And it was in the midst of that persecution, all doors were closed, that a sister in America, her name is Giselle, yep. she knew Pastor Dak. And she shared our story with Pastor Dak and with the leadership of the church. And she informed us that there is a church in Canada. They want to sponsor you. We said, thank you. Praise God for that. So that's how it happened. And we came to, uh, <laughs> we didn't care. So they, we received this sponsorship yeah. in the year 2010. Yeah. But we had to uh, wait for five years, you know, because we gave that sacrifice uh, you know, to send Shoaib and yeah. Najiba to Canada. So it took us five years, five years of huge persecution. But within that five years, what happened within, you planted four churches. Yeah, within so India. I already had this question with me that God, the sponsorship is ready and you know our situation, so why five years? And God said the answer is that you had one Afghan church, you planted four more churches, you have five Afghan churches. <laughs> and uh, we... Planted a Pashto church. Taliban are all Pashtuns. Right. So all people there, they were either with hats, long beards, looking like Taliban. <laughs> so we had a Taliban church in, in New Delhi. We have the a picture for that. only man with a Taliban that. church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Obaid, you, you could tell an entire, you could fill an entire day with stories. And if you want to know, hear more of these, of these stories, take them out for coffee or tea. They'd love to even have you over. They've had them over too. Been over to their house many times. But the, about the challenges and the things that you faced while you were there. Now, when you came to Canada, we committed as a church to one year. We're going to help you get established, find you a house, get you the training you need to have to be able to support yourself, get you a phone, get you connected within a church. But during this past year, we've learned of your call to ministry. And so then we started to connect you with our PAOC leaders and our missions uh, teams and, our, and say, let, we've got a whole plan laid out for how it would take a couple of years to get credentialed and, and, and training. We laid out this wonderful plan and you scrapped all of that and said, no, <laughs> I'm gonna, I've been called and I cannot stop yeah. speaking about what I have seen and what I have heard. So tell us a little bit about the ministry that you've already started within one year right around the square and area where you guys live. Yeah, so when I came to Canada, you know, I asked God, what's my calling? So he said, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 20, we all know about those famous verses. He said, you already have a calling. Go out for mission. Yeah. Reach out people. I said, what's my vision? He said, your vision is there are many Muslims in this country. Go and reach out them. Share the gospel. The people that you know their language and their culture and about their faith. Go out and share with them. So... I went out and shared with my wife and some other friends and shared the gospel. A church was planted in my house. And then few, uh, let's say, prayer 
meetings in different places, and also I got an opportunity to lead an underground church in Toronto. It's wow. an Afghan church. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm also leading that, and also I'm making some TV programs in Pashto and Farsi Persian, and also I have this YouTube and Facebook ministry where I share, put, make four videos every week and I put it on he Facebook and He continues to help pastor these churches yeah. that are in India that he helped plant it. He continues to train other people to work and to serve in those yeah. churches and all over the world. The investment that this church made to say, you know, we're going to invest some prayer, we're going to invest some money, we're going to invest time into this couple is reaching people all over the world, both in Mississauga, in Afghanistan, and in India. Isn't that an unbelievable testimony of what, of what God has done? But thank you so much for sharing with you. If you... If you would like to connect with these guys afterwards, they're going to be out in the foyer, please do connect with them. And like I said, they're connected with a number of growth groups. So just pick a growth group and go and join them. <laughs> no, it's, it's so easy for us to clap and to cheer and get passionate about following Jesus and standing up for our faith here in Mississauga and Milton, wherever we meet on Sundays in our nice, comfortable surroundings and within our buildings. And we can say, hey, every night and every day, I'm going to have endless praise resound from my life. But the truth is, is that it doesn't cost us very much to sing that, to meet together on Sunday mornings. And you've just heard the story of a couple that said, I heard the voice of God in the midst of unbelievable circumstance, and I will sacrifice anything and everything so that the rest of my life, people will come to know Jesus. They will hear him from my, they will hear him when I talk about it. They will see him in what I do. I can sacrifice my home, my family, even my very life if it means that other people will know the hope that can only be found in knowing Jesus Christ. And this morning, and as we go to our missions conference, I'm calling us to a sacrifice. I'm calling I'm calling myself to a sacrifice as well. What would I be willing to give so that people would know Jesus? So that actually people would see praise come out of my life? Would it, would, would it cost me relationship? Would it cost me money? Would it cost me time? What would I do over the next couple of weeks? And you're going to receive a card and hopefully you got the missions pamphlet on the way. And there are people that we support all over the world. There are trips that we, that we send out to go all over the world. And we don't do it for any other reason so that the gospel would be preached into places who would never ever hear that there's a hope and that there's a faith. Now we praise God that God still does speak in the midst of, uh, in the midst of a religious in- in institution, somebody studying with the Taliban, God can still speak. But I'm so thankful that somebody told me about Jesus. I'm so thankful that Obaid is still pouring into people so that other people in Afghanistan and India will hear about Jesus. So what are you willing to sacrifice so that people we hear about Jesus. This is not about saying, um, you know what, I'm not going to give him the regular offering for the next month because I gave him the missions offering. This is not about saying, you know what, I got a sale on a TV at Christmas and I had a few dollars left over from that, so I'm going to give to that. I'm saying, what would you sacrifice? Peter and John stood in the temple courts and said, that's nice that you've asked me to be quiet. <laughs> that's nice that you've said, but... You judge for yourself. Should I listen to God or should I go with the culture of the day? Because I can't stop speaking about what I have seen and what I have heard and what I have experienced. This couple have said, I've given it all. What are you willing to give and sacrifice this year? Is it time? Is it your money? Is it something at work? Something with your family? I don't know what it is. But I'm going to pray for you and then Dwayne's going to come and we're going to call you to sacrifice. Lord, I thank you.
that you speak to hearts. And just like you spoke to Abide, you are speaking to hearts right now, whether it's in our online campus, whether it's at our Milton campus, whether it's here at our Mississauga campus, you are speaking to hearts and you are calling people to sacrifice. And Lord, I thank you already that people are going to give up their time. People are going to give up their money. People are going to invest in the only thing that actually truly matters, as Obaid already said, we only have one call. We're not called necessarily to work at a job or to live in a city. We are called to go into all of the world and make disciples and baptize people in the name of Jesus. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you speak? And you don't guilt people. You call people. And right now, Jesus, we believe you're inspiring hearts to go and do things and to reach people that we've never reached before and that people's lives will be forever changed and they will spend eternity in the kingdom of heaven because of the sacrifices that you're calling our church to make right now. God, we thank you for the freedom that we have to meet and the opportunity that we have to be challenged by your word and by your servant today. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.